1: The Ford Report is a damning set of conclusions by a very, very prominent barrister, a leading barrister, Martin Ford KC. He was commissioned by Keir Starmer not long after he became leader of the Labour Party in 2020 over a report, a leaked report, uh, which was compiled by Labour staffers based on WhatsApp's messages of senior Labour Party officials, which revealed a very damning culture within the Labour Party. Now, the Ford report hasn't had the scrutiny, the media coverage that it deserves. There has been an exception to that. Al Jazeera commissioned a brilliant investigative series called The Labour Files, which investigated what those files uncovered. Now, Martin Ford has broken his silence over that. He's given an interview uh, to Al Jazeera um, about the report and about the failure of the Labour Party to engage with the findings of his very, very damning Report Now, I think this has big, big uh, wider questions which need answering, not just about the internal culture of the Labour Party, but this says a lot about our democracy. Labour is, of course, the government uh, in waiting. Uh, It matters for our democracy in general. Now, I'm very proud that we are are joined by two very distinguished journalists, Richard Sanders, who is the producer of the Al Jazeera series on The Labour Files, and the brilliant investigative journalist Peter Oborn, who has written extensively about this issue, quite unlike most of his colleagues. Hello to both of you. Hi. Uh, hello. Richard, let's just start. Martin Ford Casey, barrister since I was born in 1984, so tragically that's nearly four decades, appointed by the government, for example, over Windrush, very distinguished lawyer. The presumption of people like myself is the report would be a whitewash, but it wasn't, was it? So I'm interested, what are the kind of headline takeaways that people need to know about what the Ford report covered? Okay, so
2: very quickly, firstly, I'm the producer of the second of the Labour files series on anti Semitism. Other people made the first, and the third, and the fourth. And so, anyway, um, so the key thing Martin was hired to look into the leaked report. Um, on anti on the handling of anti-Semitism in the Labour, Labour Party, uh, which had been leaked in the dying days of Corbyn's leadership, it was almost entirely ignored by the media. Where they did talk about it, it was dismissed as a sort of factional exercise. The, the key point about that leaked report is that it had turned on its head the conventional narrative and said, so, "Well, actually, if you know, in as much as there were failings over the handling of anti-Semitism, which there were, um, they, they, they were greatest in the period before." Corbyn had control of the party apparatus before April 2018. Now, the absolutely key thing that Martin does is to say, actually, that that leaked report was not a narrow factional exercise. It was very conscientiously carried out. It was very efficiently carried out. And in in large measure, he agrees with it. He's not validating it completely. He's by no means saying every word of it is true. I agree with everything. But he's in large measure validating that alternative view of the history of the last few years, um, and, and he, he paints a portrait, portrait of what he calls a monoculture, a toxic monoculture at party headquarters, um, where, you know, which, which was what it was, it was just dominated by, by the right of the party, it wasn't simply that people weren't Corbelites, they were, they were positively on the right of the party. He, he then um, branches out on that, very interesting thing with, with Martin, um, in The Labour Files, the third film we did on race, Okay. Now, very revealing experience for all, all of us. Um, we spoke to a lot of people of colour who had worked for the Labour Party in the last few years, a lot. And the vast majority were very angry. They, they felt the party had real, real problems with race. And this had got worse under Stammer. I mean, it wasn't like you know, they weren't all saying, good under Corbyn, bad under Starnberg. but as a, as a general rule, certainly their, their criticism... Um, was focused on the the period under Starmer. What was very revealing was that the vast majority wouldn't go anywhere near a camera uh, and, and it, it's very striking how vulnerable people of colour feel putting their heads above the, the, the parapet and um, they all felt that their career be it in the Labour Party or in the sort of progressive sector in general NGOs would be just torpedoed by putting it above uh, their heads above the parapet so there weren't nearly as many interviewees in that film as, as, as there might have been now Martin of course had, had received submissions from all of those people he'd spoken to a lot of those people he, he'd also talked at length to the Black Caucus Labour MPs, he'd received the full force of this anger, and he'd absorbed it. I mean, Martin's of a Barbadian background himself. He'd absorbed it, he'd got it, he'd he'd recognised it. And, you know, I think the the expression hierarchy of racism is is used four or five times in that report. He says it as well in the interview he did um, a few weeks ago with with Al Jazeera, and his his sense that there was a hierarchy of racism where... um, Anti-Semitism. He also cites um, sort of the Me Too movement and sexual misconduct are, are given greater prominence than anti-Black racism or Islamophobia. That's that's an important element of his report.
1: Now, in July two thousand and nineteen, Panorama did a doc. They broadcast a documentary. Is Labour anti-Semitic? It was very critical of Corbyn's leadership and specifically claimed that his office had intervened in the party's disciplinary procedures. Um, to the detriment of the struggle against anti-Semitism. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just have some key moments, some key claims made by that. But Peter, just firstly, the narrative of that Panorama documentary, that's been challenged, hasn't it, by the Ford report in, in some fundamental ways?
3: Oh, very much so. What Richard Sanders was saying just there, is completely right that it actually, um, the Al Jazeera film turned on its head the narrative of the uh, Panorama film, and in fact, the wider media reporting of the of that period when the media was basically endlessly reporting, uh, some much more strongly than the BBC, by the way, this idea that Corbyn was anti Semitic or allowing anti-semitism and very bad at getting to grips with what was a terrible problem that was the conventional narrative and i'd say that the panorama film cemented that and then the Ford report came along and to everybody's complete surprise uh it didn't affirm that narrative indeed it it legitimized the um, or gave quite a lot of credit not entirely it was very balanced but it gave a, a lot of credit to the alternative narrative, which Richard Sanders has just explained, that actually it wasn't uh, Corbyn who was slack at dealing with the uh, anti-Semitism issue. And I have to say that we, it's worth saying about uh, Martin Ford how unusual a figure he is. Uh, I, I've been a journalist for more than 30 years, used to dealing with these inquiries and, and uh, of this kind of nature, which are commissioned... Either by a prime minister or, or by a party leader, in order to get get a certain outcome, It's twenty years uh, from since the Iraq War. Uh, Lord Hutton is a classic case in point. The Hutton mm-hmm. Inquiry whitewashed um, the circumstances surrounding the death of uh, the late David Kelly and, and the wider issues. Um, the Lord Butler report did the same, and. Although it was a little bit more acute, and on and, and, and on and on. And what Martin Ford is, um, is a very rare figure in British public life, who appears to have been prepared uh, not to do what was convenient. And by the way, if you do what is convenient to the people who commission you, uh, sort of the, the, the world opens up in, like, in terms of powerful positions, peerages, etc. cetera. Um, uh, but doing what, what what he saw to be right, and he has really up. Uh, it, it seems from what I'm um, I, I'm being told is that he's really upset the Labour command by coming up with an inconvenient conclusion. Uh, and I think that is something which, whether he's right or wrong, I think it's admirable. He hasn't. He's he's followed his. Followed as he said in his interview with Al Jazeera, you know, he's been a very senior barrister for a long time, and he's learned about how to be skeptical, how to interrogate evidence, and he's used those very long established skills to do a forensic job. And I and I think we must applaud him. I think he's a bit of a hero for what he's Hmm. done.
1: Now let's just go to a specific claim in the BBC Panorama documentary, and what Martin Ford concluded about this particular claim. And this is relates to an email sent by Seamus Milne, former Guardian columnist who became director of strategy and communications in Jeremy Corbyn. Let's just have a look at this.
4: I felt vindicated because you demonstrated graphically that it had been filleted. And I think the filleting meant the context was lost. It just seemed to me to be objectively entirely misleading to have that partial
3: quote. Mr. Corbyn and his office have repeatedly said that when party members are accused of anti-Semitism, they don't interfere in the disciplinary process. Indeed, the Labour Party said any such suggestion is categorically untrue. But that doesn't seem to be the case. In an email, Mr. Corbyn's Director of Communications, Seamus Milne, asked for a review of the disciplinary process into anti-Semitic complaints. There was a risk, he said, of muddling up political disputes with racism.
1: So what Milne wrote originally was, this member is a Jewish activist, the son of a Holocaust survivor. If we're more than very occasionally using disciplinary action against Jewish members, anti-Semitism, something's going wrong, and we're muddling up political disputes with racism. Quite apart from the specific case, I think going forward, we need to review where and how we're drawing the line if we're going to have clear and defensible processes. Richard, what happened to that quote?
2: Well, it, it, it got somewhat truncated i mean it, it's interesting this is one area where the program makers have pushed back very aggressively and have presented enormous amounts of information which all revolves around who writes to who first um which is significant because it's all about whether the leadership is in, has intervened in, in the investigative in the disciplinary process which rather misses the point that, that we're making in the film which is fundamentally about the un, the, the the editing of that quote i mean it's it's um, a conditional sentence, and they've taken out the condition so that it becomes a statement. I mean, perhaps Peter and I are very old fashioned, but I mean, I, you know, I, I've made over 20 dispatches. Um, it would just never occur to me to edit a quote like that. And if I did, I'm like, you know, my, the hair's stand on end at the thought of what Channel 4 lawyers would have done to me if I tried to, to squeeze that one past them. And I'm, I'm astonished that that editing of that quote got past editors and lawyers at the BBC. I mean, it clearly changes its meaning. I mean, I, I don't know, Owen, what do you think? Does it not change its meaning for you? Uh,
1: yes, I mean, what what the quote says is that the Labour Party was muddling up political disputes with racism, so it emits the first half of the sentence. If it's more than very
2: occasionally in investigating Jewish people.
1: That's yeah, which, and he's talking about a specific disciplinary case. Yeah. Now, why not include the entire, I mean, I know, again, the BBC's uh, documentary makers have firstly rebutted this and, and, and defended their presentation of the quote, but I think it is a legitimate view to say that you should have, obviously, the entire, if you read the entire quote in context, then you have a different, you arrive mm. at a different interpretation than that which they presented. Yes. Um, let's go to another specific example, which is that Erika Bird, who is, and it's important for us to say this an elderly Jewish woman will come on to why it was important for me to state that. But let's have a look at this. And she
2: said, asked you, where are you from? And I said, I'm not prepared to discuss this. And they said, are you from Israel? You are assumed to be in cahoots with, with the Israeli government.
4: When he says, um, where are you from? Are you from Israel? That's an absolute lie. I didn't say that. I'm just curious about, um, like, what branch are you in? I was concerned that the uh, two uh, elderly ladies had a tape recording of a meeting where they were later accused of anti-Semitism, which, to my ear, revealed nothing of the sort.
1: Now, it's important to say that the documentary makers have since claimed that actually this um, question, "Are you from Israel, was said after the recording terminated. That itself is fiercely denied uh, by Rika Bird. Now, Rika Bird, when I say she's an elderly Jewish woman, was that made clear in the Panorama documentary? No, because
2: the, the panorama doesn't identify them at all. They're anonymous in, in, in the panorama documentary. So it's not mentioned that they're two elderly Jewish women. And as far as I can see, the panorama doesn't seem to have attempted to bottom out the story at all and said, well, where was this? When was this? Um, who, who said this? But you're right. Their, their fundamental defense here is, is very simple. that the the, the question is asked after the recording is switched off. Now, the whole recording, or the whole relevant part of the recording, can be found online. It's it's fairly readily available. Rika and Helen wrote to The Guardian recently and there's a a link in there. The the conversation continues for 90 seconds after Helen asks her question, and it moves on to procedural matters and then he's simply thanking them for their time when it cuts off. If you actually listen to it, it would be very strange for Rika then to suddenly turn around and say, um, are you from Israel? Also, Rika and Helen are not only saying we did not say this, they're saying it is inconceivable we would have said it. We're both Jewish. Helen lost um, family in the Holocaust. Neither of them knew Ben Westerman, the the investigator, was Jewish. Why would they say it? It's very interesting. the, The film's reporter has publicly acknowledged that perhaps Ben Westerman spoke mistakenly so there's, there's a difference between the two things there. There's another very interesting thing. Um, there was another person in the room, people always forget this, there was a regional organizer in the room um, with them. Now he, I've invited him to, and other, I know another journalist has invited him to clear this up. He, he could, and he went there with Ben Westerman, he could easily um, validate um, Mr. Westerman's story and he, he simply doesn't respond, he never gets back. We could give him a ring now if you like.
1: Okay, has got his number, I've got my phone here.
3: uh, as things stand, am I being unfair to uh, analyse the current BBC position, which is to stand by its story and say yes, the, 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 this lady Rika Bird did say this thing. I think, and since she's denied absolutely, categorically, ever saying it, and saying, and she's added that she would, never would have said it, and the, uh, and her companion has said the same thing. VVC's position effectively, uh, implicitly anyway, is that these ladies are lying. Is that, is that correct, Richard? That, that's certainly the only
2: way they can now defend the, the sequence that they're, they're, they're lying. And, and I think they know they're in a corner there because they can't outright say that because at that point they do, do open themselves up to defamation and so on. But effectively, that, that, that is the only well, way. It's,
3: it's, it's implicit, isn't it? Yeah. That's
2: considered. the only way. The, yeah. if, the, if, the, if the sequence was valid, then they're both, you know, sort of brazen liars. Yeah. Well, it's, it's
1: essentially suggesting that two elderly women, one of whom has relatives who perished in the Holocaust, are Where's lying it? when it comes to making an overtly anti-Semitic trope. It's yeah. actually quite, quite serious. I've, I've reflected what uh, the BBC's position is on that for, for accuracy. Finally, before just, just the wider issue, just one one other point, which is the BBC did ask... Um, Martin Ford to amend his report. Let's just see from the clip from your documentary.
4: The document I'm holding is an email from Karen Whiteman, who's the editor of Panorama. I also received uh, emails from John Ware. of one in particular, which sort of demanded a response by 4pm the following day, um, was rather like, like a letter before action that, you know, I might see in in litigation.
1: Now, ju- just to be clear, the BBC said they courteously invited Ford to amend his report because he muddled up the Milne email case with other cases. Also, um, they entirely reject Mr Ford's characterizations of his emails as a uh, the emails from the BBC's program makers as aggressive, the, uh, the emails they claim were robust but always polite. Uh, Ford reiterated he believed he and where uh, he and the program makers had access to different material and reached different conclusions. <clears throat> I do think it's extraordinary that a documentary, uh, well, the BBC would approach or tell an investigate, I mean, we're talking about a barrister with decades of experience to amend a report. Um, what do you make of that, Richard?
2: Um, yes, I mean, uh, Karen Whiteman sends a very long email. And again, their defence here is a very uh, um, detailed explanation of why they believed um, that Seamus Mill had initiated the exchange of emails. That's what they, 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 they place everything on. It, it doesn't address the problem of the editing of the email. Now, in terms of, um, I, you know, I think, I think Martin was rather surprised to receive this communication, particularly since John Ware's Email to him, C. Seed, the editor of the, I don't want to get this wrong, it's either the Jewish News or the Jewish Chronicle. The
1: Jewish Chronicle, Jewish, Chronicle. Jewish Chronicle, yeah. Um, the hierarchy of racism, which is what Martin Ford alludes to, he says there's a perception of a hierarchy of racism. Peter, I just want your thoughts on that in terms of the findings of, of, of the Ford report. Well,
3: it was a very striking uh, judgments by uh, Martin Ford in his his report published six or seven months ago. That uh, I think I might say he he's made that statement there that there was different treatment given to different um, different sort of uh, minority groups. I listened to Martin Ford's uh, he, he last night. He was at a Compass meeting along with Daniel Levy the. Um, um, Daniel, he's a very, he was very impressive. He's sort yeah. of a, he's a Jewish. He, he, mm-hmm. he, what did he work for? Um, I forget. But he was uh, uh, and Lady List, Baroness Lister, who was in the House of Lords, and one or two other people. Uh, and he spoke very movingly of his own background. Um, his father was a a printer who received enormous, as you can imagine, um, racist abuse. Mm-hmm. And he clearly is somebody who he's not a smooth person. He hasn't come, he hasn't he's not a privileged person like so many, you know, in our class written, still class-written society. he's come up the hard way. Mm-hmm. And I find that you know clearly from the heart.
1: Mm. Um the authors of the Leaks report, at the moment, the Labour Party's taking legal action against them. Now, Ford says they've been unfairly maligned. I think they were doing the absolute conscientious uh, best. Um, he himself concluded the party's disciplinary system wasn't fit for purpose um, and that mishandling of cases more likely to be cock up the conspiracy, but question the party's decision to pursue legal action against them um, and their immediate line managers for allegedly having leaked report Ford says he didn't. He wasn't able to identify the source of the leak, and thinks that this is a huge that cost could cost millions of pounds for the party instead of campaigning. Richard, how much does this vindicate the authors of the leaks report? Well,
2: it, 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 his report vindicates them in large measure, simply in terms of the writing of the report and the contents of their report. Um, as you say, he, he says he couldn't work out who, who leaked it. I mean, the the story of the treatment of the three young authors of the leaked report is an extraordinary story, the leaked report. Um, I, Anyone out there who's a proper historian or a proper journalist who actually wants to understand this topic, read the leaked report. It's an almost unique political document. It's 860 pages long. I think it horrified everyone within the party when they saw it, because far from being a a sort of factional, crudely factional document, it's a peculiarly artless document written with painful honesty and obsessive detail by very intelligent young um, party staffers. And really, you contrast their treatment with the treatment of the Panorama whistleblowers, who were all paid large sums of money, it, it, it's a very, very uncomfortable story. And the Labour Party is now pursuing them as the potential leakers. Um, you know, and as Martin says, he couldn't find any evidence that they they were the leakers. And you know, these are it will destroy their lives. I mean, you know, if they they're sort of found guilty and have to pay these damages to the Labour Party, I And mean, these are young people who can't possibly afford um this sort of thing and it it really is quite dreadful the Labour Party's treatment of these three young people who who actually as a journalist and as a historian I'm eternally grateful to because we would really would be starting from the beginning trying to understand what actually happened inside the Labour Party in these years if we didn't have the leaked report because god knows the EHRC report Mm -hmm. um, is, is a flimsy pamphlet by comparison.
1: I should say, those in Labour officials in the Panorama report, the Labour Party settled the libel claim in 2020. Um, the counterclaim is that that Labour, many so, some have argued, would have had a good chance um, of, you know. Well, what's
3: uh, Al, Al Jazeera film, Richard's film, had in it, yeah. was it uh, the legal advice received by Starmer about whether or not to settle and the advice, I've seen lots of legal bits of advice in my inglorious career. And it was about as adamant that they had a very strong case as for, you, for anything I can imagine. Uh, and uh, Gerstelmer decided to settle in the face of strong legal advice that he, they stood an excellent chance in court. I mean, they being the Labour Party said sort of had an excellent chance of winning the case in court.
2: I mean, they had been accused of being, um, I think, disaffected former employees with personal and political access to grind, or something by by the Labour leadership at the time. And they they took issue with that and um, the Labour Party settled. So, yes, I mean, in the interest of fairness, we need to make that clear to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Needs to make it clear. The Labour Party settled its libel action with those former officials, just to be very, very clear. Um, Just... Uh, final two things. The failure of Labour to engage with what Ford says and the NEC, the Labour NEC hasn't invited him. And the NEC is who he's working for, the National Executive Committee. He said, I had very limited communication with the General Secretary David Evans, but that was really housekeeping. I've spoken to Corkers of black Labour MPs, but other than that, I've not spoken to anyone within the party machinery. Bear in mind, he had 165 recommendations uh, to tackle racist and discriminatory attitudes in the party. Um, that uh, Starmer did at the time say, A no, an apology is not enough. And that's why working with the General Secretary, we've taken steps to change the culture of the party. This work is underway. But there hasn't been any contact. And an NEC member has said um, that um, on Wednesday we were told we would not be able to meet with him and that we would not be told why. So Martin Ford hasn't been invited to speak to the NEC. What does that tell us, Richard?
2: Um Well, it tells everything about the way the Labour Party is run now. I mean, you know, the the, the extraordinary thing about Martin's report is, you know, its main target is this sort of toxic factionalism, and uh, which is clearly now worse than ever. I mean, the the, the Labour Party is run in a, by any objective criteria, sort of brutally Stalinist way. And, 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 you know, you you see it in in the way his report is being treated and he's being treated. Well, I'd like to add to, to what Peter said earlier. Martin is a man of great intelligence and integrity, and didn't produce the whitewash they seemed to rather hoped he would. Um, he's also what was particularly striking about him is when he was simply said they they, they said thank you very much, patted him on the head, and, and said go away. Effectively, he wasn't prepared to do that. I mean, that's what's particularly striking. He was determined to speak up and said, no, this is what I'm saying, and you need to listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, I'm going to speak out. And I, that that I particularly
3: admire in Martin. I thought that the, um, at the Compass uh, online meeting last night, Jennifer Nadel was there talking, and she was uh, talking about the need for a new kind of political discourse in this country uh, and in the Labour Party, but I think it applies everywhere, that we can treat each other with different views and opposing views with respect. Martin Ford talked about this too that this very adversarial, angry discourse is damaging the entire country, it's wrecking our politics, uh, and I think that's one of the big... Jennifer Nadel spoke about it very movingly, I thought, that we need to try and learn to talk to our opponents in a different kind of way and treat them in a different way.
2: And then Martin is very powerful about this in, in the report and, and also particularly in his interview with us that Jewish people who do not share Keir Starmer's view of the state of Israel are allowed to hold that opinion. I mean, that's one of the most dreadful things of the last few years, that effectively uh, Jews who who do not agree with the Jewish labor movement um, uh, uh, and so on are being told that, are not being told we disagree with your views and we think something different. They're being told you cannot speak in fact, In many instances, they're being told your views are so odious that you are self-hating racists. You yourselves are anti-Semites. We've reached a very odd position where in British political discourse, it's quite acceptable for non-Jews to tell Jews that they're anti-Semites. I mean, we don't wander around telling black people that they're, they're Uncle Toms. And it's a very strange place we've reached on this one. And I think in particular, Martin's comments have relevance to the whole way we discuss Israel and people's people's views on Israel, people, people have, particularly Jewish people, have to be allowed to be dissidents on the issue of Israel.
1: Just, just very, just very finally, this is a report which was commissioned by the leader of the Labour Party, and it is worth noting that for years under Jeremy Corbyn, issues to deal with racism within the Labour Party were headline news on a daily basis. But this report, with very damning conclusions, commissioned by the leader of the Labour Party, hasn't had big media attention at all. And in fact, Martin Ford said almost no media, no media organisation essentially approached him, only one journalist, and then they didn't follow up. What does that tell us? Pete, you've worked with the media for a very, very long time. What does that tell us?
3: Well, what it it tells us is that the, and it's not just uh, this issue, by the way, um, the media is not interested in, in telling the truth anymore. If it has a, this. We have a uh, Mr. Ford come, comes up with a set of arresting conclusions. Very interesting things, an important thing to say because they don't fit into the uh, favoured media political paradigm. Uh, they're just it's simply uh, suppressed. The same thing, by the way, happened uh, with uh, Johnson's lies, for instance eventually they he got exposed but but all the way through uh into the 2019 election and way beyond there was a widespread with a with the exception of the guardian to be fair uh, complicity and just they didn't want to report uh, a report this we have a um because they supported johnson and therefore He he couldn't lie, or these lies had to be ignored. And again, there is something really horrible gone wrong with our uh, political system of political reporting, where the mainstream media no longer sees its role as reporting the facts, challenging established narratives. The mainstream media uh, sees its role as reinforcing established narratives, uh, supporting authority and um, and also targeting people who dispute, who are on the fringes. Uh, and this is a collapse in the principles and standards which the, uh, the, the great media figures of the last century, great journalists have always stood for, that we stand up for the uh, underdog and we challenge power.
2: I mean, and also, just very quickly, the contrast between the way the media has treated the EHRC report, which damned um, Corbyn supposedly for, for anti-Semitism, and this report in itself is a perfect example of the hierarchy of racism.
1: Yeah. Both of you, very, very thorough indeed. Do make sure you watch um, the Labour files on anti-Semitism and on the response by Martin Ford, the KC, of course, who was commissioned by Keir Starmer. Um, and his report then largely ignored by the Labour Party and the media uh, in the aftermath. But brilliant stuff from Richard Sanders and Peter Opel. Please like and subscribe, and thank you both of you so much.